Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Football Insiders podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Piers, and with me today, I'm joined by Football Insider writer and lifelong Manchester United fan, Daniel Feliciano, and former England and Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson. Our special guest on the show today is content creator and Newcastle United fan, Kendall Rowan. In today's show, join us for an exclusive deep dive into the ongoing saga around Dan Ashworth leaving Newcastle to join Manchester United. You'll hear both perspectives from Manchester United and Newcastle United's point of view on Dan Ashworth, what it could mean for the future of Eric Ten Hag, should United fans be excited and are Newcastle now in trouble. We'll also be discussing Liverpool's next managerial candidate as the ongoing search continues, David Moyes' future at West Ham following a bad run of form, and finally... Leeds United's promotion hopes and squad as they continue to push for an automatic spot. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and rating. This helps us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. All right, Daniel, to start with, we're going to be talking about Newcastle United and Dan Ashworth. Looks like he could be set to leave Newcastle and join Manchester United. What was your initial reaction to that news? It's good. It's good news. I think Man United fans have complained for a long time that the upstairs is a massive problem. Um, And there was a bit of concern when Ratcliffe only got 25% of the club in the takeover. Um, But it seems like that that talk of him having full control of the football side of things is actually going to pay dividends. If he's bringing in the, I think his name is Barada from Man City, he's now looking to bring in Ashworth. He's obviously clearing out Deadwood and bringing in his own people who've got an idea. And these are well-known people who've done good jobs at previous clubs. So it's a good sign. You can't, you can't be mad at it. Uh, hopefully the, the talk of 2025 start date is wrong. Hopefully they, they manage to sort something out for this summer. But yes, it's, it can only be a good thing from what I see. As reported by Football Insider, Paul, it sounds like Ashworth was disappointed with Eddie Howe's involvement in recruitment. What do you make of that in terms of their recruitment over, over the previous few seasons? You look at the recruitment and you look at the academy projects that they've got. I think Dan Ashworth is more than just recruitment. I think he's stabilised the academy, he's restructured the academy, he's restructured the scouting network, he's restructured the scouting structure. And I think he's made the club in a place where it's, it doesn't necessarily rely on one person. And I think from Dan Ashworth's point of view, um, you you look at the job that he does, you look at what he did at Brighton, you look at the player recruitment side of things there, you look at the restructuring that he did there. I think there's a lot more voices at Newcastle. I think the manager has more of an input than possibly other managers that he's worked with have. I think the ownership um, and the, the, the directorship at the club and the, the scouting network will have more more of a say. I don't, basically, I don't think he's got as much of a free hand as he thought he was going to have there. Um, and the opportunities for him to go to Manchester United in all honesty, let's be honest, the recruitment can't be as bad as it was last year, can it? I mean, you look at the side of things where where they are now, he's got an opportunity to take a European giant and the structure that Manchester United uh, are putting together behind the scenes, he is going to be given free hand. There's not many people that are coming in there at Manchester United that are going to want to take over the football inside of things. He will be making football decisions and I think that will really appeal to him. And I think the, thing with the Newcastle, sorry, Lewis, I think the thing with the Newcastle thing is as well, We'll, as we're finding out, and we did the, the pod before on Football Insider, that their hands are tied. They may be the richest club in the world, but actually they've got a tie by the same rules that every other club has to. And, you know, until their income matches their output, 
they, they've got a lot of book balancing to do. And recruitment might not just be as easy as going splashing hundreds of millions here, there and everywhere. It's looking like they're going to have to lose some of their best players. And Daniel, what would you make of, of Paul's comments about your recruitment last summer and then your aims, hopefully, for this summer? I think, I think it's quite a bang on. I think everybody knows the recruitment over the last, probably say, 10 years has been pretty bad. Um, you can probably count on, your, on one hand how many good signings we've had. Um, but that said, there, there's been a different direction with Ten Hag. I haven't agreed with a lot of the signings that he's made. I think some of them have just been for the sake of having a familiar face for him. Uh, Anthony, we've spoken about before, that spending £80 million on him was a disaster. There was no explanation for it whatsoever other than he's worked with him before. Um, but you feel like someone like Ashworth with his connections and his experience, especially in the Premier League, um, you'd expect him to have more of an idea of what would work and what is good value. Uh, so that would obviously be a good start. If he can, whether Ten Hag is still at the club or not, is a different conversation entirely. But if they can kind of form a partnership, if you want, um, of a profile of player and a budget and work towards it together, it can only be a good thing. Um, I think we... We can get onto Ten Hag absolutely, but do you do you think Daniel that from a United perspective, we look at it from a a senior point of view? Do you think they're making the right choice in going for Ashworth, or actually do you feel this is quite rushed? Because really, the news came out of the blue, and then a few weeks later, it sounds like the deal is going to be happening. Um, I, I would say it's probably the right thing. I think, if, especially if he's unhappy at Newcastle, which has been claimed that he's not so happy with not having the free hand and not having the like total control. I think. The, the stories have been out for a good few months now about interest and it potentially getting firmed up once Ratcliffe was in. Obviously, it's moved very quickly this week uh, and is now looking like it's probably going to get done in the next few days. That Again, that's I think it's a good decision. I think there's obviously always going to be this person might have been better, this person may have been better. But I think generally you're not going to get many people better than Ashworth in England um, that are available and willing to come ASAP. So I think it's a good decision. I think what he gives you as well, I think he just gives you the, the whole structure. I just touched on it before. But he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's not just about player recruitment. He's about the whole structure of the club. At Manchester United, we've spoke about it numerous times. There's fundamentally so many things that are wrong behind the scenes at that club. But it's the scouting network. He'll restructure. He'll restructure the academy. He'll restructure the whole way that that club does things, right from the under-9s all the way through to the first team. And he'll put a structure in place that will last for years. This isn't just a short-term appointment that will be a quick fix for the first team because I think they've got to go through a bit more pain to get to where they want to go to before they can get there. This is a long-term appointment for a club who used to be and probably still is one of the biggest in the world. And an opportunity for Dan Ashworth to do that, I think, was, was a real head-turner for him. But also, from a Manchester United point of view, the recruitment for them, they're disrupting other clubs. You look at the guy they took from Manchester City, disrupting their, their neighbours, disrupting Newcastle. All of a sudden, Manchester United seemingly are coming back to the table with somebody very serious like Sir Jim Ratcliffe at the helm, making big decisions and actually going out there and getting the best people. Yeah, I think, yeah. Sorry, just I think to mention as well, obviously, Nicky Butt did a lot of that a few years ago with the, the academy and bringing in young players from abroad who were already outstanding before the Brexit rules kicked in. And then Nicky Butt left. And it kind of, the academy's done really well in recent years. You've got players like Kobe Minor, Hannibal, Garnacho, who've come through into the first team. And the, I think the under-18s had won 14 out of 15 games this season or something like that. Um, so he's obviously done well, but having someone now come in to continue that, because after he left, he didn't really get replaced properly either. And that's added to problems of upstairs. Um, 
So again, Ashraf, he's, like Paul said, he's going to be able to do more than just recruitment for the first team. But those situations, where the whole club has really struggled. Um, I think it's only going to be a good thing that he's in and he knows what he's doing. He's got a proven track record and this is going to be a challenge for him that he's going to thrive in. He's going to enjoy the fact that he gets to go to a big club and have control and he's going to be able to do what he thinks is best and we've seen it that's worked before. So I can't see how it can be a bad decision unless he doesn't get what he's promised. I mean, the only question with that that kind of Paul mentioned that I'd like to touch on is that, I mean, Paul, you mentioned in there that it'll be from the under nines all the way up. There's obviously lots of overhaul that needs doing. Surely that's going to take years there. That doesn't really sound like, a, I know it's this course, this move is not a short term move, but that could be a really long process, Paul. How long would we expect that to take for an overhaul of, of that magnitude? But listen, fans fans won't be interested in the overhaul behind the scenes. The, the, the immediate impact in the business structure is impacted on the pitch. You know, whatever you do, whatever you put in, in place behind the scenes, the, the truth is the first team is is where the success is generated and where the money is generated for the football club. And from a business point of view, the first team has to be successful. You put a model in for the first team. You put a style of play in. You put a manager in. I personally don't think that Ten Hag will be there beyond the end of this season. I mean, I, I think he's on trial. I think they've had a great turnaround. I think that the results that they've had of late, they've been more of what would be expected. Um, be, before that, they've lost too many games, conceded too many goals. I think he's got between now and the end of the season to basically prove himself to Dan Ashworth that he's the man to take Manchester United forward. If he's not, and Dan Ashworth doesn't see that, if he's got another way of thinking, then he structures a first team, a style of play, a manager, an identity that then drips through. I mean, the, when you talk about restructuring behind the scenes, it's the scouting network, it's the people he brings in, it's the people he brings with him, it's the contacts that he brings with him. It's that little black book that we quite often talk about. You know, you look at the Bright, you look at Brighton scouting network, Four million for Caicedo, sold on for 102 million. I mean, those are the type of scouting networks that, that he has. And you look at um, Kukurea at Brighton and others, Ben White that he brought in at Brighton, sold on for huge, huge fortunes and profits. And these are the, it's, it's not just his knowledge, it's everything and everyone that he brings with him. And yes, it will take a while. And like I said before, I think Manchester United and the fans, they've got to go through a bit more hurt before they get to where they want to get to. But they're certainly on the right track at the moment. All right, Kendall. Looks like Dan Ashworth is going to be leaving Newcastle potentially and joining Manchester United. What was your initial reaction to that news? Um, obviously, it's a little bit disappointing because you want someone who's going to be there long term. You know, this project that we're undertaking since the takeover is supposed to be long term. It's supposed to be something that we're still working on and things like that. So obviously, it's disappointing, especially to lose someone really important and in in integral who was supposed to be integral to that project so to one of your I guess I guess everyone in the league's a league rival but these are the type of teams Manchester United and things like that who we would be as Newcastle United looking to kind of emulate and you know get onto the to the level that they have been historically so yeah it's a little bit little bit disappointing but football football is a, a ruthless <laughs> game I'm afraid that's absolutely right. And how would you rate your recruitment over the last few seasons then with Ashworth in charge? Um, so actually, I think this is a little bit of a, a myth-busting situation because there has been a lot of reports that, you know, Ashworth was integral in kind of signing Bruno um, right at the beginning and Trippier and actually wasn't actually with us officially at that point whether or not he worked behind the scenes on those deals we're not too sure um but he was supposed to be on garden leave at this point so realistically the only actual deal that i may think he's had some kind of heavy hand in is maybe isaac um because botman we did initially try to get him in the january that we tried to get bruno um 
so but Leo weren't playing ball with us at that time so yeah I'm not actually too sure how much of a hand he's had in it and um, similarly to Brighton I know he was kind of lauded as as being involved in the recruitment but I think a lot of it is Tony Bloom so um but if he has had a hand in it look we've recruited fantastically um in terms of personnel I think January was a little bit disappointing um we could have maybe done a little bit more last summer but again we're hampered so much by FFP and and all of the things and profits and sustainability so yeah I think overall the recruitment that we've done in the last two years has been has been really phenomenal so if he's had a hand in that then yeah absolutely no complaints from me really just could have done a little bit more but as I say we are kind of handcuffed by um a lot of financial things I'm afraid. Were you a bit gutted about that going into the window because I mean obviously with all those injuries going into January it sounded like you might be looking at making some making some moves happen then obviously it doesn't work out what were your thoughts? Yeah I was quite disappointed coming into January just because I knew we needed some personnel in, we needed some quality in it back into the team because we'd been one of the teams that have struggled the most in the league. Don't get me wrong, obviously, there's a lot of teams that have struggled this year with injuries, um, but we had 14 first-team players out <laughs> at um, any one time coming into you know the, the January window. So I just assumed at that point that it was kind of a necessity for us to get bodies in um, at that time. But yeah, because our owners and people at the club, you know, the commercial directors, Darren Eels and things like that, they've been very open with how hampered we are, are by these things. Um, so it was kind of tempering fans' expectations. You know, he did a interview right at the beginning of the window where he said, don't expect too much because we are, there is a lot of really serious restrictions going on right now, obviously. It doesn't help with the point deductions and things and investigations. So, yeah, but I was a little bit disappointed because we're now, again, back at square one because Callum Wilson's now out between nine, nine and 12 weeks, which we've just found out today. So, yeah, it's kind of, we're, we're one step forward, two steps back with us. But, um, yeah, hopefully we're going to have a big summer and maybe see some changes in those rules that allow us to to build on the squad a little bit more. I mean, speaking of that, how hard do you think it is going to be to replace someone with the calibre of Ashworth? Do you think that'll be an easy recruitment process? Um, I, Do you know what? I'm not too sure because we, in the past, we didn't even have a sporting director. Like, under the previous owner, we didn't have anyone who even did the role that Dan Ashworth does at all. It was two people running the show. That was it, did all of the jobs. So when we got someone in who actually understood football, who was well appreciated and respected within football, really had a big hand in the England setup and with the FA and did fantastically at Brighton. Obviously, everyone was so happy with that recruitment. We were like, wow, this is amazing. We finally got someone who actually understands football at the club, who can run the club properly. Um, and obviously, at the moment, he's done a fantastic job. But in my opinion, just from where I'm standing, I think probably very few people in football are, are irreplaceable. Um, I think you can always find someone, even at player level, you know, who can do a job or similarly to that. Um, because I don't understand his rules specifically in depth. Maybe that's where my opinion's coming from, that I feel like, you know, we can go out and get another sport and director who can do what he does, but that might not be the case. Um, but obviously, we're going to see if this... Uh, transfer goes through um to Manchester United then we will obviously see if someone can come in and emulate that but you know there's some brilliant sporting directors on the surface as far as I know like Michael Edwards um and things like that and Paul Mitchell who's been mentioned in the past and so there is obviously people out there who do a good job but maybe because I don't understand Dan Ashworth's role in depth that may be why but as I say we'll see either way. 
And are you concerned at all that United might try and sign some of your top players like Bruno Guimaraes? Is there a concern there that actually Dan Ashworth, knowing the contracts, knowing the length of deals that are happening, he actually might come in and try and take some of your top talent? That is one of the things I have seen our fans worry about. I think we need to be ruthless as a club if this is to happen. We need to say in any sort of kind of contract going forward or any sort of where we're going to allow you to leave, you cannot sign our players for a certain amount of time. I'm not even sure if that kind of clause exists in football. I'm really <laughs> not sure. But if it doesn't, then we need, a design, we need a design one because he is privy to release clause information. He's privy to wage information. Any sort of contract demands or wants and desires from these players, he's privy to all of that. So that would absolutely be a concern because... Again, as we've, as our owners have said, you know, we're hampered by these rules. That may mean we need to get rid of these players in the future just to offset the financial rules. So, yeah, obviously that is that would be a huge concern to lose to a to someone that we would want to see as you know rivaling to like cups and leagues and league places and things like that. So, yeah, hopefully we can be a. Uh, now it's out of the shoes on the other foot now. They try to be a little <laughs> bit with us with the Jesse Lingard thing a few years ago. So, you know, I, I, I hope we've got a little bit of... Um, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, with them and we say we, we play hardball this time. And what are your hopes the rest of the season? I mean, you've mentioned in there Callum Wilson being out for nine to 12 weeks, seventh in the league, 11 points off top four. What would be a success for you to end this season? Um, European football at any opportunity, conference. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with this season. I think... The way that we were competing on all fronts coming up to, you know, December and um, disappointingly went out of the Champions League due to kind of no real fault of our own with obviously the PSG game and VAR and things like that. And then the Carabao Cup, which was really, really disappointing because we got to the final last year. Um, I'm happy with, you know, getting to any sort of European football this year, whether that be Europa League. I, I think maybe Champions League is a little bit far out of, of reach at the moment. I know we're still half the way through this season we've still got a good chunk of games to go but I do just think with our squad with the injuries and things like that then um it, maybe that's not viable but I think European football still is we've still got a long way to go um, and I would really really like to do well in the FA Cup I said at the beginning of the season prior to anything prior to injuries signings I said European football in a good cup run so we are still on on course for that so yeah top top seven um and hopefully a good decent cup run another final will be nice but I'm not sure I can handle losing a, <laughs> losing two finals <laughs> going, in a row going to Wembley so, yeah, again I'll temper my expectations a little bit with that one <laughs> and and how about Eddie Howe what are your thoughts about him going forward are you happy with him in charge or actually do you think he is more of a stopgap manager uh no I'm I'm really happy I've, I've said this all along um even before you know we had such a successful season last season I said I wanted him to be the one to to you know, have success with us and I think he deserves it for the way he's built the squad. I think he deserves it for the way, the style of football that he's brought to, to Newcastle United that we've not seen for, well, everyone always relates it kind of to the entertainers era in the mid-90s. We've not seen football this good from us and this style of quality football, attacking football um, since then. So, yeah, I'm happy with Eddie. I think he needs his time. Obviously, you know, there's hiccups along the way, maybe tactical subs changes that maybe we won't agree with and the good thing is, though, he's always loyal to his, to his team. He, he's open with the fans and he just understands what the club kind of means to us um, as Newcastle fans. So, yeah, I'm more than happy for, for Eddie to stay as, unless it's an absolute capitulation and it's like back to, you know, <laughs> Newcastle fighting relegation. Yeah. Then, yeah, I, I, I'm happy with Eddie for, for as long as we have him. 
And do you think that is the general sentence around the ground? Are most fans happy, do you think? Or are there small minorities here or there that aren't so pleased? Yeah, I think sadly with football, it's so polarising. You're, you're always going to get a certain amount of people who don't agree. But yeah, I think 99% of, of Newcastle fan base is just is behind Eddie. You know, every single home and away matches, we're always there. We're always behind him. And um, I think the good thing about us as fans, yeah, our expectations change, obviously, with the takeover and how well we have done. But we are quite patient. We are quite level-headed. I can't believe I'm saying that, and a lot of people <laughs> will laugh a lot of Newcastle fans, but in the general sense, we are quite level-headed. So, yeah, I think as long as you, we know that you're passionate about this club, which most of the players and the, and the manager definitely is, um, then we're, we're behind you all the way. And, yeah, I think most of the fan base back them 100%. And are you concerned at all going into the summer window? I know we mentioned Bruno Guimaraes in there, but yeah. actually with Eddie Howe in charge, do you think they buy into his sort of, um, they buy into his mantra, they buy into his philosophy? Is that one reason why the squad has been so united? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you watch any sort of interview with any Newcastle players, they always mention the manager. Um, I mean, Fabian Scher, for example, he is 32, 33 years old. Um, and he said Eddie's the best manager that he's ever had in his career. Um, obviously, I know you're not gonna you're not gonna slay the manager when, when you're at a club, but just the fact that they're not prompted to say these things, they say it just in terms of how that well their career is going at the moment and how well they are playing. Um, so I think the fact is Eddie is a really really good manager. The fact that he's a good young English manager, which we as well we don't see a lot of, um, sadly in the Premier League, despite it being you know um one of the best leagues in the world, I think yeah it it really is is good for him and all of the players like that, all of the fans buy into it and he buys into the, the club and the philosophy. So we couldn't ask for any more really. Okay, moving on from the North East over to Merseyside, Daniel. As it stands, what's the latest news on Liverpool's managerial situation? Because it still seems after a few weeks that Xabi Alonso is in the running for the job. Yeah, it looks like it's it's kind of Alonso's job to lose at this point. Um, he, he's obviously just destroyed Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga title race with a 3-0 win, just made his stock go up even higher. Uh, there's some talk Barcelona want him as well, but I think, bearing in mind, he's connections to Liverpool and Real Madrid. Uh, I think Liverpool looks the most likely outcome for him. And there isn't many, other than De Zerbi, who again is also seemingly on Barcelona's radar, there doesn't seem to be much else other than Alonso to Liverpool right now. Paul, what are your thoughts? Do, do, do you see Alonso going to Liverpool? Do you think maybe, I mean, uh, Football Insider reported this morning that Ange Postacoglu doesn't have a release clause in his contract, albeit that he seems that he is set to stay in North London. Are you concerned at all that Ange could go? Are there any other names potentially that you think could be on the list? Absolutely concerned that Ange would go, yeah. I mean, you look at the impact that he's had at Tottenham um, and at the end of the day, Tottenham are, are not going to be in the Champions League next season, potentially, if they're not in the top four. Um, if he gets them in the Champions League, then it's absolutely, he will. I would suspect he will stay. But if they're not in the Champions League and Liverpool come knocking, then, you know, we, we know the draw of, of the Champions League and, and that that has um, the financial effect that it has as well. I would like to think from a Tottenham point of view that they will be in the Champions League next season and there's no decision for him to make. And the relationship that he's got with the Tottenham fans, the relationship that he's got, the way that he's brought the club together, it would be disastrous if he was to leave. But yeah, absolutely, you're concerned because, you know, as soon as you get a successful manager, and you're going to get admiring glances from around Europe if you are not one of the top European teams. And that, that's always going to be a problem. Um, but for me, I've said it before, I've said it before on the pod, I wouldn't want to be the next man in. I mean, the relationship that Jurgen Klopp's got with these supporters that he's got with his football club, that he's done, and he could potentially walk away with numerous pieces of silverware this season. They're still competing on four fronts, let's not forget. 
So he could walk away from this club being one of the best managers that have ever tread the Anfield dugout, the respect, the relationship that he's got with the fans, for somebody to pick that baton up and carry it on is going to be one hell of a big task, regardless of who it is. And you look at the names that are linked, and yeah, Alonso is the one that jumps off the page at you. And then you question, is it too early? Is he too inexperienced? How would you get experience if you're not given the opportunity? He could be the absolute ideal candidate. I think the Liverpool squad are in a great position. I think they're a young side. I think he rejuvenated it. The, the, um, the sign of Sabozlai in the summer was a great signing. And I think they've got a real opportunity of winning the league this season. I do if City falter. Um, but where, where do you go? I mean, you look at the other names linked. Deserby. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen other managers leave Brighton, haven't we? Pep Linders, his assistant, no, no real experience. Amorim at Sporting, Nagelsmann, Zidane, Emery. These are the names that are linked. And you, from a Liverpool fan's point of view, the, the absolute admiration that they've got for Jurgen Klopp, a lot of those names are going to really fall short, in all honesty, of expectation when, when, when it's announced. If one of those names that I mentioned, I'm not, I'm, I suspect there's a lot of Liverpool fans that go, uh, OK, let's see how that goes. Which, if it's not a big appointment like Alonso, you wouldn't want to be the next man in. And Daniel, you've got experience, of course, after Sir Alex Ferguson left over the previous 10 seasons of, of some challenges that were faced when, when he did leave the club. Do you think actually, and again, same with Arsenal and, and Wenger, do you think actually Liverpool fans should be expecting sort of the same transition period? It might not be as long necessarily, but do you think that there could be some turmoil going into the dugout next year? Uh, I think they have they have to expect a drop-off, whether it's a big enough drop-off to be compared to Man United or Arsenal at that period, I don't know. But you have to remember, it's not just Klopp that's leaving. It's his entire backroom staff. It's the director of football is leaving as well. The, the head of recruitment guy is leaving as well. So it's going to be an entirely new setup. And whoever walks into that, whether they're inexperienced like Xabi Alonso or they've won three Champions Leagues like Zidane, they're going to struggle with that environment because it's going to be new for everybody. Everybody's going to be dealing with new partnerships, new ways of thinking, new styles, new everything. Uh, so I think to expect the same results you've just had for the last five, six years, where when Klopp really took hold of that club and had his way, I think you're in dreamland, to be honest, because it's just not possible. I don't think anybody's, I don't think there's, I can't think of a situation where a top, top manager who had complete control left the club and it was all fine and dandy straight after. I can't think of an occasion. So I think it would be quite surprising if, anyone but Alonso took over, but I think it's a massive gamble for Liverpool personally. I think he's done amazingly well at Leverkusen in the 18 months he's been there. But this is a different kettle of fish. This is the expectation is different. The and the fans will love him immediately. So he, he then has a he has like a, a an expectation of he has to play a certain way and he has to live up to the, the expectation of the fans from when he was a player. And that's never easy for any I think we've seen a lot of club legends or ex-pros go back to their clubs and really struggle. And I think that's because they, they have that emotional attachment that sometimes can cloud their judgment, cloud their thinking. I'll say, Daniel, I, I don't think we can argue that. But my question back to you, though, is that, of course, they're undefeated this season. Like you said, they destroyed Bayern Munich. They're five points clear. Actually, in one sense, you could argue that Xabi Alonso is now under even more pressure to keep that run going in comparison to where they were at the beginning of the season. This is it. And I was just about to say, I, I don't doubt that he's probably the best candidate just because he has that connection. And like you said, if Klopp is leaving, they need someone who's going to immediately connect because Klopp's connection with the fans is, he might as well be from Liverpool. So it's, <laughs> For Alonso to come in, he's gonna 
have that immediately straight away, and that's going to keep the fans on side for a lot longer than if I don't know. For example, when was it Roy Hodgson came in to replace Kenny? When yes, that's second right. time around, that was immediately there was a disconnect between the fans and the, the players and the, the team. I think Alonso coming in does that, and I think he's probably the best candidate in terms of the way he plays football and the continuity. But it's still a huge gamble, and if he has a, a run of five or six games where things don't go to plan, the, not only will the fans start to question it because of a lack of experience, you think the media will jump on it as well because, oh my God, they're going to collapse without Klopp, and they've just they've brought in the biggest uh, prodigy in coaching, and he's flopped, and is this the future? And it's all going to go pear shaped. So it's a, it's a really big decision that the club have to make. Are you predicting it or hoping? point of view, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. Um, yeah, no, I just think if it's he's, I think he's the outstanding candidate, and I don't think anybody will doubt that. But there's huge question marks over it at the same time. Um, but there's no one who you think, yes, that's the person to come in and everything's going to be great. There's no one, and I think that's the same for. Barcelona, I think that's the same for Bayern Munich at the moment. If they get rid of Tuchel, it's the same for Man United. If they get rid of Ten Hag, it's a lot of gambles going to be. This summer's going to be really crazy, I think. Absolutely. I mean, if I could very briefly shed some light, I'm, I think you're right. I think there are some slim pickings. I think it's a difficult decision Liverpool have to make. My, my feeling is that I think Xabi Alonso is the best candidate. Daniel, I think you're absolutely right. We saw it with Wenger. We saw it with Sir Alex Ferguson, that disconnect with fans. Fans want someone who's going to walk in and know the dressing room. I mean, we saw it happen with, obviously, Arteta's doing really well. Lampard, it didn't work out at, at Chelsea. But I think there is that element going into next season. Liverpool fans aren't necessarily expecting huge things because it is a massive transition year. And most fans are, are looking forward to finishing off this season, like Paul was saying, competing on four fronts, seeing how many trophies you could potentially win and then going from there, sort of rebuilding for next season. But That's the other thing yeah. as well, isn't it? If, if Klopp goes and wins a treble this season, how do you follow that even more? If he goes and wins the Premier League this season and wins the Europa League and wins the FA Cup, then what? Well, you've been, you, I've been revel, revel in it because, I, I mean, I think I think the truth is... Whoever's coming into that afterwards is in big trouble because as soon as you don't win it, you've done worse. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's, a big issue. That's true. but And, and, and I think you're absolutely right. And that, I guess that can be said really, whether it was Sir Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola, whenever he might leave Manchester City. Those The, the gaps that these monumental managers leave is, is huge and it does make a really big difference. And I think like when City go through that as well as Liverpool are doing now, it is a challenge. And fans, I think fans fans also your expectation does change and what you hope for is that you go into next season and you kind of give it your best shot but we also don't know who it is going to be it's not necessarily going to be shabby alonso so it kind of just remains to be seen but it's, it's a generational thing isn't it i mean this generation we we associate jürgen klopp with liverpool you couldn't when you think about it, you don't you don't imagine liverpool without him like manchester city you can't imagine anyone sat else anyone else sat in manchester city dugout and managers just seem to have a fit at, at a certain club and those two have done, and they have done, you know, in this generation of, of football. And it's it's going to be a big upheaval, whoever it is. Absolutely. I think, I mean, yeah. I think it'll be interesting with the, um, the Liverpool board of how patient they are, because when Arteta went into Arsenal, he struggled for the first two years or so. And there was there were big talk of he was going to go and the fans didn't want him. And eventually he won people round by making these big decisions and the board were patient. But if... Liverpool are struggling at a point in a year's time or in 12 or in 15, 16 months' time. Are they going to be as patient and allow whoever comes in, whether it's Alonso or someone else, or are they going to hit a panic button and go for someone else? 
that will be a big thing as well of to how they replace him because it's not there's no short term option to just come in and start winning. I don't think that's a thing, especially with Man City. Even with Klopp, they've struggled to win a lot. So yes, they've had success, but it's still this is still a Man City error, and seeing that when Klopp is gone is going to be even harder to envision Liverpool coming in and competing. So it's it's a, yeah, it's, it's going to be really difficult. Whoever goes in. We'll move swiftly forwards onto a man, unfortunately, who is struggling at the London Stadium at West Ham United, David Moyes. Still no news around his future. Sounds like could, he could be penning a contract fairly soon, but bit you know, bit uncertain. Of course, we saw them get absolutely decimated by Arsenal at the weekend. Daniel, what's your feeling and what's your reaction to that? Do you expect David Moyes to, to be in the job next season? Uh, I think it's it's an interesting one with Moyes because I think the the fans are kind of done with him in the sense of he's done what he can do there. He he got European football in back to back seasons. He won them a trophy. He got to a semi final the year before that. He's he's in the knockout stages again this year and they're eighth, I think it is. But he he just doesn't inspire. He's just really boring. And I think the fans are at a point now where with the squad they have, with players like Paqueta and Bowen and Kudus, obviously they just lost Rice, but that squad should be doing more than parking a bus and countering to win 1-0 against Crystal Palace kind of thing. I think that's where the fans are at with it. They, they can see a ceiling higher than what Moyes can take them to. And I don't think that's a... I don't think anybody would say Moyes has done a bad job at West Ham because he hasn't. That's, that would be a lie. He, he took them over in a relegation battle and now they're European champions, <laughs> if you ask their fans. But I think there is a there is a ceiling and I think he has hit that ceiling. And I think at this point, it seems like he's kind of working backwards. Um, I would be surprised if he was still there next year, personally, just because I think there's been issues with him and Tim Stighton. Uh, when it comes to recruitment, I think Mark Noble seems to be more on Tim Stighton's side of how to do things when it comes to recruitment, when it comes to bringing in younger players and a bit more expansive football. Um, and with the fact that his contract is up, it's not really a decision you need to make. You just kind of let the contract expire and you go a different direction rather than having to sack him or him having to resign. I think it's kind of a natural end to things. You probably should have gone last year because you're not going to beat being European champion. Um, but I, I would be surprised if he was still there. Who replaces him, though? Don't <laughs> say knows? Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's there's been interest in Steve Cooper, um, who I would have thought was a shoo-in for Palace, but that doesn't look likely anymore. Um, but again, Cooper, we've seen him at Forest. He didn't exactly rip up any trees and they were struggling too so would that be a backward step it's, it's hard to say but I, I do think Moyes has just kind of he's hit his limit at West Ham and I think it would be the sensible decision from everyone to move on at this point Paul what do you make of those comments uh, listen you know what I think about David Moyes and you know what I think about the job that he's done at West Ham people in football have short memories when he took over that club and they were fighting relegation when he came back from a second time took a club that was fighting relegation to European champions and then again this season, they've been in sixth for the majority of the season. I mean, they're having a bad run at the moment. They've got no wins in seven in all competitions. Hence the reason that this conversation comes up again. But yet they're sat with the European trophy. They're current European champions. Once again, competing in the Europa, Champions, Europa League and sat in European positions again in the league. 
yeah, they, they hit the ceiling. I think they've got the ceiling. Where, where else can West Ham go on the budget that they've got? They've got fantastic players that don't play a certain style of football. Defensively, David Moyes sets his team up. And actually, surprisingly, they've conceded too many goals this season for the way that they play. I mean, yes, they've got Paqueta, they've got Bowen, they've got um, Ward-Prowse. Calvin Phillips will get better. You look at the squad that they've got, but actually where they sit in the league, Liverpool, are they better than Liverpool? They're not. Are they better than Man City? They're not. Arsenal, Tottenham, Villa, Man United. The level on points with Newcastle, the richest club in the world. And this is West Ham also competing in Europe while having a European trophy in the cabinet. Be careful what you wish for. I mean, I understand the, the fans, the way that they want to play, a different way of playing with David Moyes. And from David Moyes' point of view, the job that he's done there, if he feels that he's got them to a ceiling, why not just go, do you know what, thank you very much. There you go. Drop the mic and walk. <laughs> and there you go. Somebody else pick that up and get that out, that, the, the same, get that, get what I've got from that same group of players. But like I say, you know, the managers that you're looking at, looked again this morning, that they're, they're linked with potentially Michael Carrick, Benitez, Steve Cooper. I mean, Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest did a, an unbelievable job with what he got at Nottingham Forest. From the championship, do they want a championship manager. Do they want a champion? Do they want a manager that struggled to keep a team in the Premier League if they wanted to go on to the next level? I mean, it's it's a case of you know you, I understand what the fans want, the way that they want to play, and they're fed up of seeing the style of football. Completely understand that, but actually, where 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 further up this table can can West Ham go other than another European uh, finish this season? I think the next few weeks are going to be key, really key. They were away at Forest. They're at home to Brentford, they're at Everton, and they're at home to Burnley. If they don't pick up points and performances then, then I think this conversation really will rear its head. I, I think it's... I understand what you're saying in terms of uh, be careful what you wish for, but I think you could say it, West Ham will feel that why can't they be doing what Aston Villa have done? What, Aston Villa were really struggling with Steven Gerrard. They made a switch to bring in a, a better manager. And he, with the same squad, he went from fighting relegation to battling for Europe in the same season. And then this year, they've pushed on even further than that. And they're pushing for a Champions League spot against those elite clubs that you mentioned. West Ham fans, I think, will be feeling, why can't we do that? We have as good a squad as as Aston Villa, to a point. That with, a bit of, um, with, a, with a bit more of an injection of cash, which they have. They have money. They're not, they're not broke. They, they could compete for the same players Villa compete for. And with a, a more forward-thinking manager, those draws against uh, who they draw down, draws against an Everton or a draw against a Crystal Palace or a draw against a, Bur a Brentford could easily turn into wins. And those wins then put them above Newcastle in the league or put them above a struggling Man United side in the league. And I think that's where their mindset is of, if we had somebody who was a bit more forward-thinking, we may drop off, but we could also push on the other way, in the way Aston Villa have. And there's no reason why with the squad they have, with players like Paqueta and Kudus and Bowen and Alvarez and Ward-Prowse, Calvin Phillips, Kazuma at the back is not a rubbish centre-back. They've got players who can, you would expect, would perform better. Because whenever I see West Ham in the Europa League or the Conference League, I expect them to win those games. And when they don't win those games, regardless of opposition, because when you look at the, the players on the paper, they generally have a better team than most teams in that competition. And that's the, the frustration of a West Ham fan, I think, is we could do better than what we're doing. We're doing great, but we could do even better. And keeping Moyes, if he's the if he's the issue, he may not be the issue. You may be spot on in the fact that no one can get what he's got from this team. But I think they would, at this point, it's been three years, I think, with Moyes. 
way they've done brilliantly. But there's that what if of if if we were a bit more forward thinking, if we were a bit more attacking, if we put a little bit more money into it, could we be doing what Aston Villa have done in a year and a half? But then managerial recruitment is vital. And then, the, I mean, you look at the names that are linked and the names that were looked at this morning, there's not one on there that I, I looked at. I mean, we talk about Benitez. I mean, that, that just wouldn't inspire me as a West Ham fan. Sure. Look at where, where, where would they go? I mean, do you give David Moyes till the end of the season? Do you replace him now? What's, where do they go? I understand what you're saying about Villa and Emery. They, they really stuck their neck out and, and got Emery. I mean, where do West Ham get the next Emery from? And I think Villa this season, they've had a great start to the season. Recent form, they've dipped. Let's see see where they end up. But the attacking quality that West Ham have got, I think it'd be it's a really interesting time. There's, there's, there's a decisions to be made there because I think if they do give David Moyes a new contract, there will be a pushback. There'll be a big pushback from a big section of fans because, like you say, a lot are forward-thinking the way that we're playing. Can we get more? Can we do a little bit more? Like every, like every football fan is and wants more from their club and that the expectation and realisation. It's the old thing, isn't it? With success comes expectation. And is it the team that have hit the ceiling or is it the manager that's hit the ceiling? And the board have got a really big decision to make. And like I said, the next four fixtures are probably going to be crucial as to whether David Moyes stays between now and the end of the season. And come the end of the season, the, the board have got a huge decision to make. And the fact that it's gone this long, it makes you think there's either been discussions going on behind the scenes and there's an announcement imminent or... They, they don't know. They really don't know what they're going to do, which is a worrying thing. I was going to say, I think at this point of the season, you're in middle of February. If someone's contract is up and you still don't know, that tells me you're not convinced. And if you're yeah. not convinced, you probably shouldn't be giving them a new deal. Or there's a decision been made that we're not privy to the information. And that's it. And I think we have to, that remains to be seen. So from one manager who's, whose time in charge could be questioned to another going to Manchester United talking about Eric Ten Hag. Daniel, it's your time to shine. As reported by Football Insider, Eric Ten Hag has been given, supposedly until the end of the season, to prove himself. What are your thoughts, Daniel, on that? I'm not surprised. I think it's probably the right decision um, to let him go at the end of the season, if we're going to let him go. I think there's no point making a change at this point. Um, there's no one. There's no outstanding candidates coming, and that would guarantee an upturn in fortunes. So I think you give him to the end of the season. I would be surprised if he was still here, just because it's quite obvious that uh, Ratcliffe has a plan, considering the backroom changes he's making. And I would be surprised if he's convinced of Ten Hag based on the last year and a half. Um, that said. There's obviously been an upturn in recent weeks when he's had his full squad available to him, which he hasn't had for much of the season. But I'm still not convinced. I'm still not convinced that he's definitely the guy. But I also wouldn't want to replace him for just anyone. I don't think getting rid of him is not going to be the answer unless we bring in someone who definitely fixes things. And I don't think there's a... Unless we're bringing in Pep, then I don't think there's anyone who definitely fixes things. So I think it's the sensible thing is to wait to see how the season plays out. If we don't get top four, it's probably best to move him on and start fresh because the squad's going to kind of need to be ripped up at that point anyway. If we get Champions League, then he's probably bought himself another six months and kind of evaluate it as the season goes on. But he can't be allowed to be in, top, in charge of transfers ever again. <laughs> he, he can't. <laughs> He doesn't. He can't have that kind of power. And I know that there's. They were saying that that's in his contract. Uh, they need to fix it. They need to find a way out of that because he's done. Other than, I would say Lissandro, 
Martinez. I can't think of a signing of his that I'm like, yeah, that's the one. None of them. Casemiro was amazing, but I think the, the decision to give him a five-year deal when it was quite clear his legs were going is mental. Um, the fee I wasn't too fussed about, but the contract length is crazy. Um, I'm delighted that they got him because he's a banker for a bucket every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him and Bruno is easy job. Um, yeah, Onana doesn't convince me at this point. He's he's improved in the last six weeks or so, but he really doesn't convince well, me. Daniel Daniel, when we last spoke, of course, Manchester United were just about drew nil-nil with Liverpool in that in, in that draw at Anfield a few months ago. Since then, have you seen an upturn in form? Do you think there's been an improvement at all or are you still not convinced? There, there has been an improvement, I think. In, in terms of results, definitely. And you can kind of see the difference from when key players were missing to when they're back. But I still couldn't tell you what his plan is. And the fact that he he seems intent on the fact that he has a plan, it worries me more that we can't see it because he, as far as he's concerned, we control every game and we just lack a finisher. Which, if you ask a Man United fan who watches any games, will tell you is a lie. Couldn't you argue though, Daniel? Most managers say that when they're in difficult periods, though. You hear most managers, you know, make claims like that to, to keep. What you what are your thoughts? Maybe, maybe but they're wrong. Is <laughs> the simple answer. Like there's there's no way he he has anything going on on the training ground in terms of a pattern or in terms of uh, this is what we're going to do in these situations because every game at the moment is end to end or we're getting thumped. And when it's end to end, it suits us because there's spacing behind and players like Garnacho and Rashford and Hoyland have space to run into. But anybody with a brain cell parks the bus a little bit and we're in trouble. And I think we've seen that. I think Wolves caused us huge... We battered Wolves for the first half of that game. And as soon as they decided that they weren't going to give us any more space, we buckled. And I think that's a massive issue, bearing in mind the top teams are better than us in terms of personnel and a plan. And then the the, the so-called smaller teams that we're supposed to be have a plan that beats us every time. That's worrying. Um, and... It's 18 months in, so why would it change next season? I, I don't see why it would. But, again, there's not anyone outstanding to come in and say, yeah, this this is the guy that will take us forward. And I, that was what makes me think, at that point, you might as well have a bit of patience, especially with all the changes going on. There may be a difference in terms of personnel or the way we recruit, and that can help the team. Do you think the Do you think the board really feel that way though about about sort of as you mentioned giving him time and letting him letting it run? I don't. Uh, the new board probably. Uh, I don't think the old board cared. I don't think the old board cared at all. I think they, as far as they were concerned, they were still bringing in sponsorship money and being able to pay our dividends, and that was what was important to them. Uh, on pitch results were were kind of a sideshow. I think the new board will care more, which is why I think giving him the rest of the season makes sense. It gives them a chance to take a look at things when they're good and bad because no doubt we're playing well at the well, relatively well at the moment getting results at some point in the next four five three or four months we will have another bad run it's just that's football um so it'll give a it'll be good to see how that changes because i think if we have another run of five six seven games where we don't win um it'll be interesting to see if leaks come out because under the glazes there was always a positive leak as soon as something negative happened as if to take pressure off it'll be interesting to see how that changes uh, I, I would be surprised if he was still here next year 
Paul, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think he's got a long-term future at Man United or do you think he's going to go? No, I don't think he's got a long-term future at all. I think you know, for everything there that Daniel said, I think he summed it up perfectly. This season, the inconsistencies, the performances, and they, they don't have an identity. I mean, I've, I've watched them numerous times this year. I was at the Wolves game that Daniel talks about. The first half, they were fantastic. Like, really good. Probably the best performance of the season. Marcus Rashford was incredible. I mean, if he plays like that every week, I'd take him out in Belfast on a Wednesday night every night of the week. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. He was that good. And the first half of that game, they, they looked on a different level. But like Daniel says, they, they shut up, Wolves shut up shop in the second half, denied them space, and all of a sudden they struggled. Player recruitment from Ten Hag was, we've talked about, has been questionable. I mean, what Manchester United fan thought they'd go through half of this season with Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire as the centre-halves. The Champions League performances were completely unacceptable. Falling out of a group with Copenhagen and Galatasaray in it, I mean, that, that shouldn't and doesn't happen from a Manchester United point of view. Um, the performances when they do go behind against lesser teams, performances at Old Trafford this season, I know they snuck past Luton, but defeats against Bournemouth and teams like that, when we do predictions and we do previews and, and you talk about Manchester United at home against Old Trafford and you're talking about teams like Palace and Bournemouth going there and possibly having a chance. I mean, that, that shouldn't be happening. And I think short term, they're absolutely they've had an upturn in results. You know, the recent form, the recent performances have been very good. And you look around, there's nobody out there. There's no reason to change him at the moment. He's getting results, he's getting performances and the points are on the board. Long term, with the restructuring, with Dan Ashworth, with the new board coming in, I don't think he's part of their plans. I'd be very surprised if he was. I think they'll have a clear structure of how they want to move forward, how they want to progress the football club. And I don't think that Eric Ten Hag will be part of it. You've, you hear his interviews at the, the end of every game. Trust in the process, trust in this, trust in that. It's all part of a process. It's all part of this. The discipline in the dressing room, well, clearly isn't any with the Marcus Rashford situation, the Sancho situation, etc. that he's had that he's had to deal with. Some would say not ideally. Um, but short term, yeah, he's, he's doing okay. He's doing well. He's getting the points. Let, let him go till the end of the season. See if he can get whoever's in charge for Manchester United next season, a Champions League spot. Yeah, and I think time will tell, so that one will remain to be seen. Now, if we move on to Leeds, they're another club, of course, that are worth mentioning in terms of some questions, but positive questions, actually. Huge 4 0 win away at worth mentioning. Hang on. Won every game this calendar year. Well, that's what I was getting to. One goal in the league. They're going up, by the way. Yeah, are they? There we go. That's what I was waiting for. That's absolutely what I was worth mentioning. Unbeaten in the that's what I was getting to, Paul. That's it. They have been absolutely outstanding. Definitely one of the teams across the EFL to, to keep an eye on for sure. They have just been superb. Paul, they're definitely going up, are they? Well, yes, I, I, I really hope so. But you look at that league this season. I mean, mid-60 points, you'd be cruising in that. But you look at Southampton, you look at Ipswich, you look at West Brom, you look at other teams there. Now, Leicester have just set the benchmark. Leicester have the best squad in that league. Leeds come a close second, but you look at the way that other teams are performing. I mean, we always talk about the championship in a crazy league and a crazy season. You look at the run that Leeds have been on since the start of the year, since Boxing Day, you would almost expect them to be cut clear with Leicester, but they're not because of other teams' performances. Ipswich hit a bump in the road. Southampton lost a 25-game unbeaten run. They're away at West Brom. I think, is it tonight or tomorrow? Tomorrow night, I think they're away at West Brom, which is a huge game for both teams. I'd love to see a draw. It'd be a fantastic result for Leeds. But yeah, Leeds are on um, <coughs> Excuse me, a great run of form at the moment with players playing well, fit. Um, Somerville has been outstanding. Nyonto, a lot of talk about him leaving the club, but he's got his place in the team. He's scoring goals. Patrick Bamford back fit, didn't get in, didn't play this weekend. Come out, of the, I think it was about 10, 15 minutes before the start of the game. Pulled out, Piero came in. 
got his goal. You look at the strength of the squad that they've got, the the togetherness. Daniel Fart, the way he speaks after games, I, I just like him. He just there's just something about him that there's if he's like that in the dressing room, you can understand why players are playing for him. The quality of players that he's got and the defensive record that Leeds have got. I mean, they were so poor last year defensively, but with the recruitment of Joe Rodon and Ampadu, Ampadu dropping into centre half alongside Rodon has been a masterstroke. And they, they really have given themselves every opportunity of going up automatically. I have, and, I have a question for you, Paul, as a, as a Leeds man. What, what's your thoughts on um, Archie Gray? Because I think he's been brilliant this season. And he's he's seven, 17, 18. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. And then there's talk of the, the Premier League's big boys coming in. If they don't get promoted, he, he's going to leave, right? Not necessarily. I mean, the, the family connections at the club are huge. And also, you look at the player's age and you look at his opportunity to develop at such a big club. Absolutely, the the biggest European vultures are going to come looking because he is that good. He's played half the season at right-back because they've had issues at full-back. He's a defensive holding midfielder, um, but he's such a versatile player. And for the manager to give him his opportunity at the start of the season and to hold down his place throughout the season shows you what type of player he is. If they don't get up this season um, and that they're in the Championship next year, they're definitely going to have to rebuff a, a lot of bids for him. A lot of big clubs will be coming looking at him. I know for a fact that they already are. Um, and it's up to Leeds to reward him with a, the, the length of contract, um, give him the assurances that he needs. But then it's also down to the player's desire. You know he's got a very, very good, strong network around him. The advice that he will be getting will be very, very good. And whatever's best for him, we'll, we'll see where, where he is next season. He's, his value from Leeds' point of view He's not going to go down hugely if he stays another season in the championship with them because he's only going to get better and better. But if they don't go up this year, they've got one hell of a job on keeping hold of him. Yeah, not, I, think that's, yeah. I think that's a thing for Leeds' squad as well. A lot of their squad is quite young and they're all obviously playing really well. So if they don't get promoted, that's the kind of profile that a lot of Premier League clubs look at. Someone like Somerville, I think he's 22, something like that. Monto's 19, 20. Uh, even Piro is like 24, 25. So they've got Ampadu is twenty mid twenties as well. Like they've got their whole squad is that mid to early twenties range. And if they don't, I feel like this is kind of their. If they don't get promoted now, they never will because their their squad is going to be weaker next year if they're still in the championship. There's no way they keep such a strong squad for a second year of the championship. I think it's similar to Leicester. Leicester as well. They'll they'll lose a lot of top players if they don't get promoted this year. Leicester are almost guaranteed to go up at this point. I can't see them drop into third and having to fight for a playoff. Maybe second if something crazy happens. But I think that West Brom are in a similar spot. Um, but I think Ipswich weren't weren't meant to be in this race, so they'll probably be okay. Um, but I think Leeds, especially that with the the talent they have in that squad, if they don't go up this year, they're in big trouble. I think because they're going to get picked off by by big by the big clubs. Yeah, and I think you're both. I think you're both right in saying that. I think it's definitely going to be a challenge if they if they don't go up. But in terms of this general market, Paul, I mean, we've mentioned one name in there. <coughs> He's been one of the standouts this season in the championship. In terms of evaluation, not that Leeds will want to sell him, but what do you think his current market market valuation would be? Depends what league they're in. I mean, if you're selling a championship player, it's a lot less than selling a Premiership player. And if you're selling a Premiership player, you've then got the opportunity of trying to keep the squad together. It's it's huge for Leeds if to, to go up this season. Because, as you say, Rodon's only on loan. They're trying to get the Rodon deal done on a permanent, like we reported on a football insider, but that'll be 20-odd million. 20-odd million for a championship side is very, very different for 20-odd million for a premiership side, if you can actually do the deal. 
there's so much hinges on what league that Leeds are going to be in next year. The the futures of Somerville, um, the future of um, Nyonto, Ampadu, Rodon. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that Sinister is still, he's, he's moved to Bournemouth, only a loan move, isn't it? Yeah, so that's permanently now. Has he yeah, done permanently? They've done that deal permanently. Yeah, it's yeah. permanent. So there's they've got they've also got players that are out on loan as well. That could, whether they recall them whether they get back in the Premier League or not. We also put Dan James into that mix, who's having an excellent season. They've got such a good squad, but okay. the valuation of their players varies hugely as as to what league they're in. Because listen, if Leeds do go up, um, Somerville and Yonto, they're still going to be wanted commodities. They're still going to get bids for those players. But the valuation is just different depending on what league they're in. They can't afford to let them go. I mean, you mentioned in there <laughs> Daniel Parker earlier. I guess one question to ask, as Daniel touched on, Leicester are absolutely running away with it. But should Daniel Farker be in the running for manager of the year? It's, of course, early days. It's still quite a long way of the season to go. But what, what are your initial thoughts to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, championship manager of the year, for sure. Um, Kieran McKenna was heading that list for, for a long, long time. And I think he should still be in, in, the, in the mix. I mean, for Ipswich coming up this year, if they have anything above a top six finish, it's a phenomenal season for them. Um, you know, Daniel Fark is, is definitely in that conversation with what he's done because you look at the, the turnover of personnel at Ellen Road, you look at what he had to pick up and it's we all know it's the, the hardest league to get back into is the Premier League. So for what he's done there, if he keeps this run up between now and the end of the season, absolutely. I mean, he's also dealt with a lot of issues, right? Because like the Jed Spence thing was quite a big issue in mm. terms of for championship level anyway. So it's rare that you get that kind of issue. Um, he had Nonto and Sinistero both refusing to play at the start of the season. One's left and one is now about to sign a new contract. So that's a, that's big. The Bamford stuff where he, he couldn't get a sniff and now he's first-choice striker seemingly again after a good run of form. He's got the best out of Somerville. Dan James was on loan at Fulham last year, couldn't get a game. This year he's one of their most important players. So he, he's kind of he's dealt with a lot of issues that you don't usually have to deal with in the Championship. In the Championship, you kind of usually have a set 11 and this is your best squad and the rest... It's kind of you have you have a group of say fourteen or fifteen players that you're relying on, and he hasn't. He's he's used his squad well. That uh, Ilya Gruev came in in the summer, barely played in the first four months, and now he's on. He now he's playing so well they've put Ampadu to centre back to just to keep him in the team. And it's kind of he's found these solutions. Archie Gray moving to right back is a master master stroke as well. Solved issues, but also getting a young player amazing game time and he's the performing. Um, I think he has to be in the running for sure. He has to be. And so let's hear then your early top four predictions. If you had to go one to four, who's finishing where and why? Oh, that's in the, a tough... in the championship. That's right. I'll go first. I'll go. Leicester are going to win it. I think they're, they're too far ahead at this point and they've, they've been too consistent. And do um, they get plus 100 points or, the, or do they not do that? I don't know what they're on at the moment. They're on 78. <laughs> they're on 78 after 32 games. There's, so there's 14 games left. Correct. Yeah, right. they'll yeah they'll get it. They'll get 100 points, I reckon. Uh, I'll say Leeds come second. I think they I think they they their squad is too deep compared to the the people they're up against. Uh, I would say I'm going to say West Brom finished third. I think Corberan's another one who deserves huge credit for what he's done because he's been dealing with so many injuries, no money with their takeover situation. Um, and he he just keeps finding a way to get a result. I mean, they've got the best defensive record in the league as well. Um, yeah, West Brom have been. And I think I'll, I'm going to say West Brom finished third, but that's a bit of a dark horse. And I'll say Southampton fourth. 
And Paul, what's your prediction? Listen, Leicester have won the league for me. They're, they're, they're so called. They're, they're, they're the Manchester City of the Championship of recent years. Leeds finished second, looking at where they are. Southampton, recent performances. Um, yes, another 25-game unbeaten run. But they snuck past Huddersfield 5-3 after going down. They lost away at Bristol City. They've shown a couple of chinks in their armour. They've got to get that back on track. I think Ipswich's bubble has burst a little bit, although they had a cracking win the other night against Millwall. It's going to be really tight. I mean, like I say, mid-60s normally sees you safe, but it's, it's not this season. So for me, Leicester leads, and I'm going to go Southampton finish third, and I think West Brom creep into a fourth. But the playoff, playoff races are unbelievable. It's brilliant this season. absolutely is. It's been such a good year, so we'll have to wait and see how the season pans out. Four teams are averaging more than two points a game for the first time ever, which is insane. And that says it all, doesn't it? That was absolutely brilliant. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to Daniel Feliciano, Paul Robinson and Kendall Rowan for the expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media and any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment as well as subscribing 